transfiguration of Jesus. Many New Testament scholars believe that the transfiguration of Jesus was actually a post-resurrection event. That means that it, they, don't, they believe that it did not occur during Jesus' life in ministry, but instead they believe that it occurred after his death and resurrection, and that it is indeed a simple post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to the disciples. Now, the reason they believe this is obvious. The, many of these New Testament scholars don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in the glory of God in Jesus Christ. They, they believe that Jesus is a good and wise teacher. They believe that Jesus is a good prophet. They believe that Jesus is the good rabbi from Nazareth, but they deny that Jesus is God incarnate in human flesh. They deny that Jesus worked miracles. They denied in the miraculous in favor of that which can be understood by the human mind, the human brain, human understanding. However, if you place this story after the resurrection of Jesus, if you place this story after his death and resurrection, you lose so much of the context from which it comes. It actually flows beautifully from the context in which Matthew places it here. We have it in chapter 17 of Matthew's Gospel. What happens in chapter 16 sets the stage for this event, sets the stage for why it occurred, sets the stage for why Peter responded the way he responded, sets the stage for why it happens the way it happens. If you remove the story from its context, you lose so much of the meaning of the story itself. So let's place this story in its context. What happened back in chapter 16? Well, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples had said, well, some people believe that you're John the Baptist. Some people believe that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus says, well, what, who do you say that I am? Who do you, disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes his profession. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, you are Rocky, you are Peter, and upon you I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, Peter. You are going to be in charge. And you can imagine that his spirit must have been greatly elated. Whew! I mean... James and John, they sent their mother to ask for the seats at the Jesus' right and left hand. And yet Jesus gives it to Peter. Woohoo! Peter must have been really happy. He got the right answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, he had said to Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Not just any old son of man, but the son of God. Just a couple of verses later, Jesus begins to tell them, begins to tell his disciples about how he has to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted by the rabbis and the chief priests and the elders of the people and be arrested and to suffer at their hands and to die, and three days later he would be raised from the dead. And Peter gets in his face and says, Far be it from you, Lord! And Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Wow! 
Talk about a roller coaster ride. From the heights of, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, and you're going to be the rock upon whom the church will be built, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, to get behind me, Satan. That's just an amazing trip, friends. From the heights of accolade by the Lord himself to being called the devil, to being identified with Satan. Must have been a terrible blow to Peter. Must have been a horrible blow to Peter. And just a few verses later, just a few verses later, we have Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up the top of that mountain. That's Mount Tabor. It's on the edge of the Jezreel Valley in Galilee, northern Israel. It's next door to Nazareth and across the valley from Megiddo. It's Jesus' home territory. This is really close to where Jesus grew up. When he grew up in Nazareth, he could look out from the mountainside where Nazareth is located, and he could see Mount Tabor just a short distance away along the edge of the Jezreel Valley. And you look across the valley, and you can see Megiddo across the valley, Mount, the mountain across the valley. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up this mountain ostensibly to pray. And while they're up there, the transfiguration occurs. Jesus becomes dazzlingly bright. He becomes like a stained glass window, fluorescing. Light is shining through him, not just around him, not just from him, but shining through him towards the disciples. They are looking at him, and he looks like he's glittering with an amazing band of light. He is alive with light and glory. The concept in Hebrew is that of Shekinah, the glory of God shining forth from Jesus, from Jesus' very person. And not only that, but Moses and Elijah, the two most important people in the Hebrew lexicon of saints, Moses, the establisher of of the covenant. Moses, the one who brought the laws down from Mount Sinai. Moses, the one who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses, on one side, talking with Jesus, and on the other side, also talking with Jesus, is Elijah, the greatest of the early prophets of the Hebrew people, the one who brandished the sword and chopped off the heads of the priests of Baal, the one who rode off in a chariot into glory everlasting surviving death. Elijah, the great prophet, speaking with Jesus. I've always been wondered and concerned and speculated about how in the world did Peter, James, and John know that was Moses and Elijah. After all, they didn't have photographs of them. They didn't know what they looked like. Just two old guys with beards. They didn't have name tags on and said, hello, my name is Moses. Hello, my name is Elijah. No, they didn't have neon signs over the head blinking, saying Moses and Elijah. So how did they know? They just simply knew that this is the affirmation of Jesus by the Torah, by Moses, and by the prophets, Elijah. In other words, the entire authority of the Hebrew people, the entire authority of the Hebrew scriptures 
is witnessing to the truth of the authority and the nature of God in Jesus. Peter, James, and John see this. Peter, James, and John see this, are amazed by it, but instead of going to their knees and worshiping in the presence of God, going to their knees and giving thanks and praise to Yahweh for having experienced this wonderful revelation, no, Peter opens his mouth and starts to yabber. He didn't learn much from getting rebuked by Jesus when he said, far be it from you, Lord, that you would go to die. And says, he said, Lord, it's good for us that we're here. If you wish, if you wish, if you wish, I will make three dwellings. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'll make three dwellings for you so that you can live in them. The three tents that you can stay in. Three booths that you can stay in. So you can all sit around here and sing Kumbaya and have a good time. How, let's do that, okay? And while he's flapping his gums, the scripture says that a cloud appears. While he was still speaking, while he's saying this, while he's not paying attention, but instead trying to figure out what he's supposed to be doing, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Wham! It's like Peter gets hit upside the head. Wake up, Peter. Pay attention to what's going on here. Stop flapping your gums and start listening to what's going on here. Listen to the one in front of you being transfigured in your presence. Listen to him. If he is good enough for Moses and Elijah to speak with and to listen to, he's good enough for you to listen to. And Peter, James, and John fall on their faces. They finally did the right thing. Wham! Down they go. My goodness, I would have fallen the instant I saw Jesus fluorescing. The instant I saw those two figures of Moses and Elijah there, I would have been on the floor and I would have had to change my underwear. It would have been amazing. And I would have been terrified to be in that glorious presence. To truly see Jesus for who he really is. He just asks them, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Well, now they're getting to see who God says that he is. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Now, I think it's interesting back in 2 Peter, in, in the letter that he wrote many years later after these events, he remembers this event. He's amazed by this event. And he remembers it pretty much the same way. But he leaves out that listen to him bit. This is my son and with whom I am well pleased is what he remembers being said. Listen to him is what we and Peter, James, and John need to hear. Listen to him. Do we 
listen to Jesus? Do we listen to God? So often we get caught up with our own expectations, our own understandings, our own agenda. We think we know what's going on. We think we know better even than God Himself what we should be doing or what should be happening. Sometimes we need to have God whack us upside the head, spiritually at least, to get our attention. This story describes a spiritual whack upside the head that Peter desperately needed. After having been acclaimed as the rock upon whom Jesus would build the church, after having been acclaimed as the one who would receive the keys to the kingdom, and then having been brought low by Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan, when he opened his mouth and thought he could tell Jesus what Jesus was really supposed to be doing. Now on the mountainside, God says, it doesn't matter what people say, and it doesn't even matter what you say about Jesus. What matters is what I, God, am saying about Jesus, and now what Jesus is saying to you. So often we get caught up in our own expectations, our own agenda, our own understandings, our own conceptions of what is important and what is not important. We think we can depend upon the traditions. Well, this is just the way we've always done it. We think we can depend upon the earthly authorities. Well, it says so in the book of discipline. We think we can depend upon ourselves and our own understandings and our own traditions and our own rules and regulations that we have made up with votes at conferences or in legislatures. We think we can depend upon ourselves and our own understanding when God is telling us to listen to Jesus. Listen to Him. The one who was transfigured in your presence. The one through whom God's Shekinah glory floresced. The one to whom Moses and Elijah were speaking. The one who will die. For us, we can get so caught up in our own understandings, in our own conceptions and agendas of what's right and wrong and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be acting. We can get caught up in our own understandings that we're not listening to Jesus and what Jesus is telling us to do. The purpose of the season of Lent is to prepare to witness and accept our culpability in the death of Jesus, in His arrest, in His trial, in His crucifixion and death. It is a time to prepare to recognize that He went to the cross because of our sinfulness. He went to the cross because of who and what we are. He went to the cross to take the burden of our sins upon Himself. He went to the cross to take the penalty that we merit and to die in our place as a sacrifice for us. The season of Lent is to prepare ourselves to recognize this so that on Good Friday we can be ready to recognize and accept the gift that we are being offered from the cross, the gift of forgiveness, 
The gift of a new start with God. A gift of a new beginning in life. A gift of eternal life that comes to us through His death and resurrection. The season of Lent is a time to prepare for this. These 40 days are very important. It's a time to get ready. And this coming Wednesday, we will enter into Lent with Ash Wednesday. The time in which we recognize that we are dust, and unto dust we shall return. Part of that preparation... Part of the process of getting ready to recognize Him who died for us, He who went to the cross for us, the One who came to take our place, part of the process of getting ready is setting aside our preconceptions, setting aside all of our notions, setting aside our agenda, setting aside our desires, our will, and listening to Jesus. You know, it's not easy. We think we know what's best. Like Peter, we get up in Jesus' face and say, Far be it from you, Lord. We think we know what's best. In our arrogance, we think we know better than God. God doesn't understand the realities in which we live. God doesn't understand the difficulties of family life. God doesn't understand the pains and anguishes that we face. God doesn't understand how horrible this sickness is. God doesn't understand how lonely I am. God doesn't understand. God doesn't understand. God doesn't understand. What? What are you saying? The creator of the universe is not only omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he is the source of infinite love and forgiveness. Of course he understands. He came to be with us, to be one of us, to take our place and die for us because he understands. And in Christ Jesus, he experienced every pain, every anguish, and the separation from the Father that we all experience when he died on the cross for our sins. Oh, my brothers and sisters, God understands. Jesus understands what we face. And that we have competing agenda, competing notions of what is right and wrong. Ways in which we think things ought to be done. Ways that we want to live. We need to be listening to Jesus. And setting aside all of those expectations, all of those agenda, all of those desires, all of those wants, all of those self-conceptions. We need to set all that aside, friends, and listen to Jesus. Well, how? How? Well, you start by reading the Scriptures, reading the Bible, reading what Jesus said. We have everything we need right there in the Gospels to come to understand what Jesus is calling us to do. To look at the things that majored in His ministry, in His teaching. Things like forgiveness, acceptance, Righteousness, justice, peace, grace, 
life, healing, love, giving, receiving. All of these actions, these concepts, these ideas revolve around who Jesus is as the author and finisher of our faith, yes, and indeed as the creative agency through whom God created the universe. The ultimate act of self-giving love when God said, let there be light, let there be a firmament, let there be oceans and land, let there be animals, let there be you. When God said these things and spoke them into existence, God did so with great love. God did so with great grace. God understands what we face and gave himself in Christ Jesus that we not face them alone. We need to be listening to Jesus, setting aside our preconceptions, our agenda, and listening to Jesus. This Lent, I challenge us to set it all aside and listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you, forgive all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. 
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. Working through the obedience of Moses, you delivered us from captivity and made covenant to be our sovereign God. Speaking through the faith of the prophets, people like Elijah, Nathan, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, your wisdom, righteousness, and truth have formed and made us ready to receive the true word of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. He was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and was transfigured so that his face shone like the sun as your voice directed us to listen to him. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave the cup to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. As our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we, though we are many, are one body, for we all partake the one loaf. The bread which we break, it is indeed a means of sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks, it is indeed a means of sharing in the outpoured blood. been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.